Welcome to Healers, a podcast brought to you by Augustinus Bader. Each episode, we'll be sitting down with various founders, figures, and friends of AB to dive deeper into their philanthropic work while raising awareness of the causes closest to their heart. I'm not an activist, but I am an Asian American that's been activated because I am part of my community. For me, I'm a dressmaker, but I'm a dressmaker that is part of my community. And with my platform and you know, with my earned privilege, I have to use this. I have to become uncomfortable. I have to step out of my bubble and use my platform to raise awareness, to raise money, to, to condone against um, you know, the injustices. Hello, I'm Alex Steiner, and today I'm thrilled to be able to have a conversation with the Asian-American designer, Philip Lim. Well, first of all, hi, Philip, and thank you so much for joining us today on The Healers. Hi, I am so honored to be here. The name of the program, Healers, I love it. I love it, and I'm really grateful to be here. I mean, you're widely known as a fashion designer, a creative director, and most recently for your activism as the co-founder of the New York Tougher Than Ever movement, which supports grassroots AAPI organizations across the U.S. But we have a lot to cover today. And I wondered if I could start by delving into your personal journey, if that's okay with you. You grew up in California, right? Yes, I grew up in California. But I believe your parents um, moved over when you were very young. Yeah, so I'm a first-generation Asian-American. We're Chinese of Chinese descent, but my parents left China, settled in Cambodia, and when the genocide happened, they left. They left that. They were fortunate enough to um, just miss that part. Settled in Thailand, and then we eventually made our way to Southern California, where I lived for the majority of my life, my young life. I grew up a typical Orange County suburban lifestyle, played tennis throughout my childhood. I have a degree in home economics, which is now family and consumer sciences. I never went to fashion school, but I knew that I had to be in the industry, got an internship there, and the rest is history. I wondered if I may ask you a bit about your parents and, you know, I mean, do you actually remember yourself coming to the U.S. and maybe kind of what it was like for your parents at first, the transition? Yeah, I was too young to remember anything. But um, with that family, my parents, they never really tell us about it because I think they're still working through that trauma. You know, we don't realize that a lot of the times as immigrants, you know, when we come to a different country, we come for a reason. We come for a better life. And I think that what people should know about is it's not because it's fun. It's not because it's an adventure. It is to escape harsh realities, usually. It is to move forward to find a better life for themselves and for their family. And when they move here, usually a huge part of them has to be forgotten and erased. And, you know, in the case of my parents, I'm the youngest of six. So imagine my parents bringing over to the United States six young children, settling in a new land where they did not even speak the language. There was no money. They were sponsored by um, a Christian organization. And to survive, you just literally have to adapt and try to do your best to become an American. And growing up, You know, it was never spoken about the journey because I think they wanted us to just be part of our new home. And also, now I think back, it's very traumatizing. It's very, very traumatizing. And 
I think back now, and there has been a lot of unpacking, and still tons of suitcases to unpack still to this day. I can just imagine that it takes so much courage to come mm. to a new country and start afresh. And you yeah. know, like you're saying, you know, it's not fun. You're leaving maybe something that was a hardship, but dealing with new hardships. Yeah, yeah. But it was it something that wasn't shared because one had to. Adapt. Like, what did you feel? Yeah. Well, it's um, many different reasons, right? First of all, like what you said, one has to adapt, but also my parents had to also realize that we were children. You know what I mean? And it's really how do you explain that to children? Yeah. You know what I mean? You just had to just move forward. And the other thing is, maybe they haven't reconciled it themselves. You know what I mean? Because they were a bit too busy raising us, making sure that we had a future. Yeah. And earning a living, and you know, six children. I, it's a big, you know, responsibility, and and just I suppose also maybe I wonder if generations are different as well, aren't they? Like, would you say that there's also a generational difference? One hundred percent. You know, my parents' generation, um, and also flowing into my generation too. My parents' generation, for sure. You do not speak about your hardships. You do not ask for help. You know, you put your head down. You mind your own business. You don't make noise. You know, you just literally figure out how to live life, live life in the most silent way as possible. You know, and I was raised that way. But fortunately, you know, I was raised between Eastern and Western ways of life. Basically, at home, everything was Chinese. Everything is traditional. They spoke Chinese to me. You know,、uh, all the meals, just all the traditions. And when I would go to school and live my own life in the daytime. Everything was Western. Everything was American. Everything was like sports and after-school activities and the prom and you know just trying to be a normal kid. So for myself in my generation, I'm caught somewhere in the middle and I'm still reconciling that, you know. But for the future generation, it's completely different because they're brought up in the West, so everything's vocal. Everything is just like in your face. Everything is calling it what it is, you know. So. In this capsule, in this time moment right now, what you're seeing is three generations kind of reconciling and trying to connect and and move forward, a community that is becoming. It's so interesting. I mean, obviously, we're going to come to talk about your kind of involvement now and, and activism, but I'm so interested by what you were saying about the kind of the older generation and the younger generation, and you're kind of、mm. in the middle. I mean, can you tell me a bit more about how you are? Talking to the, especially with what's happening,、yeah. how are you talking to the older generation and the younger generation? Yeah, yeah, a great question. It is very tricky.、Um, we're the bridge, basically, and I always think that you know my whole philosophy is something in the middle, finding balance. And with my parents' generation, if we speak about racism and the injustice that's happening right now to the community. I had a conversation with my mom the other day, and she's like, "Hey,、uh, she goes, Philip, you know, I don't understand why am I seeing." All these attacks on us, on old people like myself. You know, I'm like, mom. You know, we live in a country that's still reconciling everything. You know, there's so much work to be done because we were always silent. You know what I mean? Your generation. You know, you brought us here, and we were just supposed to head down and do our work and and make a path for ourselves forward. And this is the result. You know, where the result is, what happens with that is. A whole community, a whole race, is erased out of conversations and devalued. So when push comes to shove, and when things get tough, you know, it's easy 
to go after a minority group that you think historically would not speak up, would not fight back. And I have to explain that to her, and she understands it. But at the same time, she just tells me, you know, don't get involved. You know, just be careful. I'm worried about you. You know, um, it's not your business. And I have to slowly break it down to her. It's not my direct business, but it affects me. Yes. Because it will affect you. Yes. Yeah. With the younger generation that I work with, I'm around youth basically. There's no way they can understand my parents' generation without someone like myself. Because my job now for the future generation is to make sure that I encourage the next generation to speak up, to stand out, to stand with each other against all these injustices that you know our country is going through. Because our country is in transition. Yes. And and equally, I'm I'm also hearing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing that like yes, the younger generation to speak up, to stand up, but equally having an understanding also for an older generation and kind of bringing everyone together. Now you were talking about obviously it's so poignant. Thank you for sharing that you were talking with your with your mother, and she was saying, "I don't understand why this yeah. is happening." Yeah. Can we delve a little bit more into the fact that obviously for the Past year, we've been, you know, in this global pandemic. We we still are, and sadly, during this time, um, there just has been an alarming escalation mm. um, in bigotry, mm. um, possibly resulting from the COVID nineteen pandemic. I mean, have do you think you've noticed an increase in it due to possibly political leaders getting involved and saying the? I mean, why do you feel? Can you break it down for us? Why do you feel this has happened now, as well, yeah. or is coming to light now? Maybe is the right yes. question. Yes, absolutely. If you think about the beginning of the pandemic in March, early March, you know when COVID uh, was first kind of made public. You know, of course, it's this mystery virus that you know no one really knew about. But then when we had the former administration of uh, the United States literally formulate a narrative to blame and scapegoat a whole uh, ethnicity, a whole race of people, you know, that actually gave permission for the rest of a very impressionable population to place blame on the Asian American community or Asians throughout the world too, that we're the cause of COVID-19. And that's absolutely not true because COVID-19 is a health and human virus that affects everybody. It doesn't pick you based off race. It doesn't pick you based off sex. It doesn't pick you because you're in a certain socioeconomic situation. It affects all of us. But when you have this constant programming from leaders that sit in the highest office in the land, start to use the terms like kung flu, China virus, you know you can't escape the association. And when that happened, you know in my community, you know we're like, whoa, this is going to get really serious. And while that was happening, you could see it built up. I remember the first case that I saw、um, attack on an Asian elderly was immediately right after you start to see this administration use those terms and change that narrative. It was this elder gentleman in the Bay Area in、um, California, and he was literally being bullied and, and harassed and called names, and yeah, they have him on camera like、uh, crying and just like. Trapped like an animal, and that's when it dawned on me that, oh wow, this is going to get even worse and more serious too. That's when I realized that I have to do something about this. 
I'm not an activist, but I am an Asian American that's been activated because I am part of my community. You know what I mean? Activism is something that, you know, I deeply admire and respect the heroes that do it every single day. This is their calling. For me, I'm a dressmaker, but I'm a dressmaker that is part of my community. And with my platform and, you know, with my earned privilege, I have to use this. I have to go on talks on CNN. I have to become uncomfortable. I have to step out of my bubble and use my platform to raise awareness, to raise money, to to condone against, um, you know, the injustices. I think it's really powerful what you just said, actually, about you've been activated. And I think that is very powerful because, you know, there are certain people might be, well, I'm not an activist. I'm not an activist. Leave me out of it. Leave me out of it. You know, it's semantics. It's being activated. It's like it's being aware and it's standing up. So, Philip, can you talk to me a little bit about the AAPI GoFundMe, please? Yeah, I'd be happy to. This was also started because... We couldn't sit back and do nothing about it. So in the height of um, the attacks on the Asian American community, my friend, which is the CMO of GoFundMe, he contacted me and he's like, Philip, how can I help? What can I do? And I'm like, you know, Musa, I'm at a loss of words. He's like, why don't we all get together and we start something? Why don't we use GoFundMe's platform and start something? And let's identify what is lacking and how GoFundMe can help. And, you know, with GoFundMe, what's incredible about uh, GoFundMe as a business is the whole mission statement is to employ community to help. So we, um, we got together with some friends and we started this fund, which is a community super fund. And in this fund, it's a place where you can donate money, you can raise money for individual victims, and it's also a centralized place that you can learn about the facts and different types of grassroots organizations that are are working every single day to empower and protect the AAPI community. So it's never existed before because, um, again, it comes back to a community that's becoming itself. It started as a moment, a reason to what was happening, and now it's continuing as a movement. And to this date, we've raised, I think, about $5.8 million dollars in a community fund, but also all the victims funds that we highlight on the platform have surpassed all their goals. So collectively more than $10 million. And I hope that this continues as a movement. And what's been incredible is every three weeks, we shortlist about 10 grassroots AAPI community organizations that we help fund so they receive a donation and this will continue until the money runs out. And I hope the money doesn't run out. And I hope people continue to donate, raise awareness. The irony is, it's sad that this has to be in existence. But at the same time, it's also helping to combat the hate and the injustices that are actually happening in everyday life. I also need to ask you, though, obviously, you know, you are at the heart of the fashion industry. You're at the pinnacle. You're in New York, you know, in this world. And how important do you feel is it for brands in fashion and beauty to speak out against Asian American hate and violence? Great question, Alex. Um, I've been in the business for a while now, and I remember early on when I started the business, it was let your products speak for themselves. Let the clothes do the talking. 
So brands would stay silent. And, you know, every time I would voice my concern, I would always get people saying to me, stay in your lane, just make cute clothes. You know, you shouldn't involve yourself in what you don't know. And my, my answer back to them constantly was, before I'm a fashion designer, I'm a human being that lives in society and is part of the society. So my values should reflect what I do. And to this day, I believe that it is so important that brands actually have a point of view. Brands actually share their value system because there's no longer that case where you separate the brand from the man or the woman. It has to be about what you believe in. It's so important for brands to show their customers what they're about because that way, you know, this will only increase business if you want to speak about in terms of success, business success. But at the same time, we live in a world now that this is just normal. And it's important that every brand gets on board with this. It strikes me what you just said again about stay in your lane. It sounds again like, stay, but you have actually, again, kind of broken out from that. Because am I correct in saying that you moved your production or your headquarters? Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I know you're big into sustainability as an ethos for yourself, but have you not moved your, is it your product or your headquarters? My design studio. Your design studio. Can you talk yeah. to us about that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, also when um, everything was shut down and also the rise in attacks on Asian Americans, I decided that I had to move my studio into the heart of Chinatown to be part of the community. You know, what I, what I was noticing was people were afraid to go into the community because of just these fears, misguided fears, you know what I mean? And I wanted to be physically part of a community that was being assaulted so that I could be part of uh, signaling and, and advocating for the community that it's okay, we're still here. You know, beauty comes from here. Creativity still starts from here. So it was important for me to be part of the community, hmm. not only because of who I am, but also physically. Can you tell me a little bit more about New York Tougher Than Ever, the New York Tougher Than Ever initiative? I mean, obviously, I, I know what inspired it, yeah. um, but a bit more how it works and kind of what the aim is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that New York Tougher Than Ever initiative was started by myself and my friend Ruba Abu Nima, who is now the creative director at Tiffany's. And we are neighbors living in New York City. And this happened when we were just watching all the protests and the, the marches for Black Lives Matter movement, when all the injustices were happening to the, the Black community. Being citizens of this, this world and, and also being part of the community, we felt like we had to do something about that. So we started to launch the slogan, New York Tougher Than Ever, and all the proceeds from all the sweatshirts and t-shirts and collaborations that we do, 100% of them goes to underserved communities organizations, charities that we feel need help. And that was launched because of the Black Lives Matter movement. And moving forward, you know, we used New York Tougher Than Ever too to help raise money for the AAPI community, Stop Asian Hate. So with this vehicle, we're able to point it in the direction of whatever's happening in the moment, being present and making sure that we're part of the conversation to fight the injustices and fight for people who need a voice. Or, or deserve better. May I ask you a personal question? Did you ever or do you now feel that you have to take extra precautions yourself um, not to be a target of violence or verbal abuse? That's a great question, Alex. My friends tell me to be careful. My mother tells me to be careful. 
And I'm very careful, but at the same time, I can't live my life scared. I cannot live my life in a state of not doing anything about it because I'm scared. You know, I think that it's good to be careful and it's good to use common sense. But at the same time, you have to lean in and be okay with being uncomfortable, you know? That's a very powerful, powerful answer, I have to say. But can you then maybe help, you know, our listeners and, you know, myself as well? Like, how can we effectively address anti Asian racism. Yeah. Each one of us. How, how can we do it? Yeah. Or what are the steps we should do in our daily life? Yeah, I get that question often. And, you know, honestly, I'm learning every step of the way I go. Again, I'm not an activist, but as an activated person, I think the best advice is start within your surroundings. Start within, like, um, with your friends, with your family, with your colleagues. You know, get to know what's happening, learn more about it. Example, Stop Asian Hate. Everyone has an Asian friend, an Asian colleague. You know, ask them how they're doing. Ask them how you can help. You know, if like, for example, if you have a platform, you know, lend us your platform, lend us a microphone. Don't speak for us, but reach over and try to understand and ask the questions in a way that, you know, signifies that, you're listening. You know, I think that that's the big key because we have to remember too, our community is under assault. So even we are trying to reconcile and figure out what to do about that too. And for me, I always say to everyone, you know, it's all the small things that will add up to a bigger change. You don't have to know the answer, but you do in your heart know what to do. You lean in and you protect and you ally yourself for good. And to honor victims and save lives, how do we as a society make progress? I think it came to notoriety about a year ago with those terrible attacks, you know, in, in March. And it is just unspeakable. Do you feel like progress is being made or not? Like, where do you yeah. feel we stand? Yeah. You know, progress is not linear. So it goes up and down and left and right and sometimes backwards to go forward. Is definitely not linear, but I feel progress for sure. Because even being on this healer program, this healer segment, and you guys allowing me to speak about this is progress. This would never be happening before because this subject matter might have been taboo. You know, it tells mm -hmm. you kind of how we're marching forward as a society. And I think it's so important to continue to have these kind of conversations and, and companies like Augustinus Bada to allow to use their platforms to host this. You know, it's so important. I think also not only are the conversations important, but legislation, education in schools, you know, if we take a moment to realize what's happening and what's not happening and how they're all connected to each other, it's not a singular approach. It's not linear approach. It's multi-pronged, but I, you can't do everything at the same time. So whatever we can do to move the needle forward and to be inclusive, to have conversations that are in a room filled with different types of voices and different types of people. You know, Philip, I'm having goosebumps because, you know, this series is called Healers. And I feel like the way you share and the way you talk, you are a healer yourself, if I may say so. And I just want to thank you so much for talking to us today and sharing so much also about, about your life and your experiences and, and just thank you very much for your time and, and for being a healer. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alex. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to seeing you again soon. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe.